It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Yeah, on the political scene. Lots of things have happened. Um, Lots of letters have been written. Lots of resignations. Could we have the the PowerPoint up, if that would be possible? Um, You may have seen this picture that I showed a couple of weeks back. Um, There's just a new caption that's arrived on it today. I don't know what we think a Paddington government would be like. But a lot of the letters, now I'm not going to make political commentary, don't worry. But a lot of the letters that were written this week, they've been about trust, haven't they? And as I've read different letters, I didn't read all 50 of them, but we, like, we, we need to be able to trust what is being said. We need to be able to trust the government. And it, it poses a question for us. Who do we trust today? Who do we trust? Do we trust God? Or do we trust ourselves? Or do we trust other people? Do we trust the government, whoever it is? Who do we trust? So we're continuing in our look at the book of Haggai. And Phil has very kindly offered to read a passage with some horrendous names in it. So I'm sure he will do a wonderful job. Here we are. Those are the verses he's going to read for us. So yeah, it'll be on screen. Or if you want to follow in your Bibles, Haggai chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message of the Lord to the people. I am with you declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. In the second year of King Darius, On the twenty-first day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty, the glory of this present house 
will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Amen. Thanks, Phil. I don't know if you noticed that reading, how many times it says, declares the Lord Almighty. I just noticed it as Phil was reading it. This is God's word, isn't it? It's God saying stuff. And when God speaks, we take notice. Let's just pray again as we ask the Spirit to open these words to us. Yeah, Lord, we we gather again around your word, and we just thank you um, for, for the word that has been given to us. And we thank you that it is powerful and speaks into our hearts. So we just pray now as we look through this passage that you will bring to light what what, um, you need us to hear today and just help anything that we don't need to hear just to fall to the wayside. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I've shown you this picture before. Um, That was my primary school. I went there from being four to being 11, St. George's Church of England Primary School in Stockport. Um, If you know Stockport at all, it's right next to that great big church that's on the A6 as you go through it. And when I was a kid, I thought this was possibly one of the biggest buildings I had ever seen. It was grand. I mean, it is quite a nice building, actually, for a primary school. But there were two school halls, and, you know, as a a sort of five, six-year-old, they looked enormous. They looked like places of unrivaled splendor. You can imagine my disappointment when I got a job there as an adult working as a piano teacher going in to find this building had miraculously shrunk. (laughs) It was much smaller than it used to be. But that happens with memory, doesn't it? Sometimes we think we've remembered something, and it's not actually quite how it was. And it's easy, I think, as human beings to fall then into patterns of nostalgia. Do you ever find yourself being nostalgic about what used to be? It's not like it was, is it? Things used to be like this. The word nostalgia actually means this. It means a wistful or excessively sentimental yearning for return to or some past period of irrecoverable, I can't even say that, irrecoverable condition. It's worse than those names in the reading. That's what to be nostalgic is about. And the, the human heart can easily fall into being nostalgic. But the problem is, if you fall into being nostalgic, it's hard to deal with reality. If you fall into being nostalgic, it's even harder to hear what the Lord's vision might be for us for the future. Now, if you were here with us last week or you're watching online, we're continuing in this very short book of Haggai, just for three weeks. It's an Old Testament prophet. It's one of the shortest of the Old Testament prophets. It's written at a time when the people were returning from captivity in Babylon back to Jerusalem. And they started out by building the temple when they got home. But they got distracted with building panelled houses and their own comfort and their priorities got all skewed and they stopped building the temple. And they said to the Lord, now is not the right time. And so the Lord challenges them and he speaks through Haggai and through other prophets and then through action as well. There is a drought that covers the land. The land isn't as fruitful as it should have been and the promises of Deuteronomy 28 are not enacted. And then as the book of Haggai unfolds, something amazing happens. Something amazing happens in those first verses that Phil read to us. Because verse 12 tells us that actually, after Haggai preached his message, everybody listens. That's rare after a sermon, just by the way. But the, the preaching happens, and everybody listens. And the work starts on the temple. It says in verse 14, they began work on the house of the Lord Almighty. Why does that happen? Well, you see, if we're open to God's word, it will transform us. 
It can't do anything but transform us if we are open to what God says to us. I think it's a real challenge there. Are we as open as the people were here to listen to what God may be saying into our lives, whether that's through the direct reading of Scripture, whether it's through the promptings of the Spirit, through preaching, whatever it might be. And there's one sense in which the book of Haggai could stop here. We could draw a line under it and say, well, you know, great prophetic ministry, Haggai, well done. You've done the Lord's will. The people have listened. Let's move on to something else. But actually, there is a bit of a sticking point that comes in these verses. And I think it's something that can actually teach us quite a lot. Because this, as this temple is, is rebuilt, we might expect that it's going to be better than the old one. There was a, a slogan, was it a couple of years ago, as we thought we were coming out of COVID for the first time, that was build back better. I don't know if you can remember that. And there, there may be a sense that we would expect that the new temple that was being built would be better than the old one. There was also a lot of hope floating around in these exiles' minds who were coming back because the prophets, prior to the time of exile, had been saying amazing things that God would do. The glory of the Lord would cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Or there's this, sorry, I've missed that slide out. Or there's this one, you may recognize this reading from Micah, again written in a pre-exilic time, looking forward to when God would send his son. All these promises were not yet fulfilled. But here's the problem. The temple that was being built was not going to be like the old one, not in any way. Solomon's temple that had been standing for 400 years was built at a time of great power, of economic prosperity, of the Lord's blessing. Solomon was a wealthy and wise ruler who built extravagantly. The situation here is far different. This new temple is going to be physically smaller and it's not going to be as grand as the previous one. There is there's no king, there's the rubble, who is a governor, but the nation isn't independent. Now, the closest I could think was, imagine like we as a church were going to build a brand new church building. And we thought, right, we're going to build it to fit everybody in, and we build it, and it looks all right. And then you travel to York and look at York Minster and say, well, it's not like that. Why is it not like that? Why did our forefathers and forebears used to be able to build like that, and we can only build like this? It's that kind of feeling, it's that kind of sentiment that would happen. And so there's a disconnect starts to grow between particularly some of the older people who are back in Jerusalem and the reality of what is going on on the ground. Verse 3, it says, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Because there were still people around, they'd be quite elderly by this point, but people who had seen Solomon's temple, people who had lived in the last days of the kingdom of Judah, probably some 80, 90 years previously, that had been quite elderly, and they would have just had those childish memories of what that temple was like. But there'd have been memories like the school halls that I saw. You know, there would have been childhood impressions. But there's a problem, and this is where the crux of the challenge lies. The promises of restoration here are not as good as what has been. That is the reality of the situation. The restored temple is not going to be as impressive as the old one. The days of the new temple, certainly initially, are not even going to be as good as the tail end of the days of the kingdom of Judah. And when things like that happens, when our present is not as good as our past, I don't know if you ever found yourself saying, it wasn't like this in the past, things aren't how they used to be, I remember when it was, dot, 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 and we put in the blanks. And we then get a little bit despondent and we start to go back into that nostalgic mindset. Now, I would have said those are phrases that we tend to use as we get older. You know, when you've got rather more history to look back at and you start to say, oh, it wasn't like this back then. 
But actually, the last three years, I think, have changed all that. Because I now think all of us can look back and say, well, it wasn't like this three years ago. It wasn't like this pre-COVID. What's changed? What has changed? And perhaps we look at our churches together, and we, we, we heard last week from Neil about the need for volunteers for Messy Church, because they've, they've not got enough people to keep it running. Or perhaps we look at a number of our church groups that haven't yet got back to the capacity they were at. And we start to say, well, it's not like it used to be. God, where are you? Things are different. It's not like it used to be. Or perhaps we expand that a little bit, you know, and to think about our own lifetime. And think about things that have changed. Now, I know of a, of a church, I know it quite well, that used to have 300 people attending on a Sunday morning. And I, I remember I used to go sometimes, and it used to have a thriving youth work and children's work. There's now 30 of them, wondering what on earth has happened. And you can think, you can look back and get very nostalgic for the past. Why isn't it like it was in the present? Or we might look at the contemporary church and we think some of the challenges that we face, you know, there's, there's challenges on both a national and local level, grappling with issues like issues of sexuality or gender. We may be thinking about how do we actually proclaim the gospel into a post-Christendom, that's a big word for a Sunday morning, a post-Christendom world. How do we grapple with, with a world where biblical literacy is so low that we can't guarantee anybody knows anything about the Bible? How do we reach into those kind of situations? And then we might just cast an eye over our shoulder and say, wasn't it easier when Billy Graham came in the 60s and all those flocks of people went down to whatever stadiums he came to? Or wasn't it easier when we were marching for Jesus with Graham Kendrick? I can just about remember those in the 80s, singing, I will build my church. Or wasn't it easier in Wembley Stadium with Noel Richards? I don't know if anyone went to that in 1997. Um, or wasn't it easier when whatever it is? Wasn't it better when we looked back than what we have? But you know, if we start doing that, what happens? is we lose vision, and we start saying, well, what next, God? What next? And so the Lord asks the question. What a poignant question. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? And he's talking there about the temple that has been built. The reality is tough. They couldn't get back to the, the pre-exile times. They certainly couldn't get back... 470 years or thereabouts to the reign of Solomon where the temple was first built, the first temple was built. But one thing I love about the way the Lord deals with the people in Haggai's day is it is so gentle. He doesn't come and berate them. He doesn't tell them off. He just asks them questions. And they have to be honest. We don't get the people's answer to this, but I just love that question. You know, if, if you're feeling nostalgic today and the Lord asks those questions, does the present not seem as good as it used to be? What's your answer? Are you going to be honest with the Lord? Or are you going to hide it away? You see, I think one of the most important things that we need to be is honest as Christians. And honest that actually when things don't seem like they used to be, or things seem tougher than they used to be, that we name that in front of the Lord. It does not mean that the Lord has abandoned us, as we'll see in this passage. But it just means that we're journeying through, and sometimes are good, sometimes are more tricky as we journey through. You know, we say it quite a lot in church, don't we? It is okay to not be okay. And that is, yes, for us as individuals, but it is also for church, for churches, for churches together, for the church across our nation. It is okay to say at the moment things are harder than they were three years ago. We need to be able to name these things if we're going to seek the Lord's vision. For the people in Haggai's day, the concerns are real. What they are seeing is less than had been. It's hard to trust when that is the case, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I find it quite easy to trust God when everything is wonderful, 
when life is just, you know, you're, you're sat by the pool and it's beautiful and it's sunny and, you know, you've got a care in the world, trust really doesn't take a great deal then. But when you're really going through the mill, whatever that is, it's much harder to trust. But isn't faith at its heart about clinging to God when we can't see? Clinging to God when not everything is visible. I love this, this quote from C.S. Lewis. Faith is the art of holding on to things in spite of your changing moods and circumstances. Holding on to the promises of God. And I like this quote from Spurgeon even more. Thanks to Louise who put this on a Facebook feed this week. God is too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trace his heart. Amazing quote. When we can't see what God is actually doing, and everything looks a little bit, I'm not quite sure what's going on, we can trust in the kindness and the goodness and the mercy and the promises of God. Faith is holding out that God is with us, even when we can't see an obvious way forward. And so the call goes out to the people. Be strong, you people of the land, and work. Work. Get the temple rebuilt. Work, for I am with you. That, that call to be strong, there's echoes there of, of the book of Joshua. When the people first went into the promised land, the Lord said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And here there's the same echoes. Be strong. I am with you. It doesn't yet look like what it did, but actually there is more to come. There is better to come. And then there is the reminder of the great rescue out of Egypt, that pivotal event for the people of God, and the encouragement, my spirit remains amongst you. Do not fear. You know, remembrance is, is different to nostalgia. When we remember something, when we can keep something in our mind, it can give us hope for the future. We've just remembered bread and wine, haven't we? And um, remember the Lord's death through bread and wine. And I wanted us to use that prayer because it both looks back, it names the present reality that he has risen. That's a, a current reality, but it also looks forward to the hope. He will come again. And that's the difference between remembering and nostalgia. Nostalgia roots us back. Remembering can drive us forward. So I wonder, do you trust God today? in your own personal life. I wonder whether you're, you're feeling full of trust in the Lord or whether you're feeling fearful. I wonder whether there are things going on. Perhaps the cost of living crisis is starting to bite in your house and you're thinking, I'm not sure how I'm going to get through this winter. Perhaps personal circumstances are, are just a little bit difficult or perhaps your faith journey with the Lord is, is not all that you'd hoped it would be. But at this point, for the people in Haggai's day, there is a present reality. The Spirit of God is with them. But then this passage, and this is the great bit about this passage, it starts to move them forward. It starts to say, cast a vision into the future and see what God will yet do in, um, in the future. And so we get these, these words. If you've got a Bible there, just look at verses 7 and then 9. It says, the Lord promises to shape the nations and send the desired of all nations. And then in verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of of the former. And then in verse 9 again, and in this place I will grant peace. Now the temple, the second temple, will never match the first in terms of the things that happened in the first temple. In the first temple, when it was dedicated, the presence of God filled it so much that the priest couldn't enter. There was the tangible, what is called the Shekinah glory of God. And it was, it was a magnificent but terrifying experience for the people there. 
That never happens in this second temple. But this second temple stands all the way through until AD 70, when it's eventually destroyed by the Romans. The people, well, they won't go through a time of huge restoration during this period either. It's going to be difficult for the Jewish people. They are pawns, if you like, in the bigger power games of the day, whether it's with the Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire, then the Roman Empire. But if we fast forward and we get to the point where Jesus is born and we see the events that take place in this temple, we will see that everything Haggai says will take place. We will see that all God's hope and all God's future will come to pass. Luke 2, 29 to 32, it says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. This is an old man talking, a man called Simeon, who has encountered Jesus as an eight-day-old baby. And he's saying this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus is dedicated in that second temple. Jesus, the one who fulfills all God's hopes, all God's promises, is dedicated right here in this building that everyone was saying, well, it's not good enough. It's not like the, the old one. Fast forward a little bit further to the time when Jesus is dying on the cross. He's dying there for the sins of the world. And in Matthew's gospel, it tells us of an event in Matthew 27, 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. That curtain wasn't just any ordinary curtain. It was the curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the holy place, the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest went once a year. And the Holy of Holies was the place of the presence of God. And as Jesus dies on the cross, as he makes peace so that we can know the Father, so that we can have relationship with God, what happens? The temple curtain is torn in two. The second temple is torn in two. And the presence of God then starts to fill the whole earth. You see, the words of Haggai, some five and a half centuries later, all come to fruition in Jesus, who is the Messiah. You see, faith sometimes is about waiting, isn't it? If we could just have everything as we wanted it, now, 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 we wouldn't need to have faith and trust. It would just all happen. But actually what this passage, I think, reminds us is that actually we can cling on to God. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. He promises that he is with us in the darkest times and in the good times. He promises that we can rest in his presence, secure knowing that we are held for him, held with him for all eternity. I'm just going to to read some verses from Jeremiah. You you might just want to close your eyes actually for a moment because these are words that that were written um, about this period of time. There, There will be well known words to many of us, but this is actually part of the context of this passage. So just listen to these and see if the Lord may be speaking to you. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. 
I will gather you from all nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Just think about that for a moment, just in the stillness, that the Lord has good plans. Our plans are all linked in with the the hope of the Messiah, of Jesus who has come. Perhaps today we just need to hold on to God's promises, the promises of building up his church, the promises of the Beatitudes where it says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, the promises that God is with us when our personal circumstances look perhaps less good than they once did. You know, the Lord has not forgotten us. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. So today, will we be people of vision? Will we be people of all that God has for our future? Or will we go into that nostalgic mindset? Do we believe that God has a future for our church, for the church in this nation, for the church across the globe? Do we believe that Jesus is the promised desire of all nations? And that through Jesus, that all nations have been and will continue to be shaken? Are we hopeful for God's future? Let's keep trusting. Let's be like the people were in Haggai's day. Believe what God has said and let's trust in him.